Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. And welcome to another episode of the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. I'm your host, Dr. Barry PR, your favorite board-certified internist, founder of drbarrypr.com, as well as the CEO of PR Medical Consulting, helping you empower yourself for better health with the number one podcast for patient advocacy, education, and affirmation. This week, we have a repeat guest on the show, and you guys love how I bring these uh, repeat guests on because they bring so much value, and uh, she did such an amazing job on our burnout series and she gave the resident perspective on burnout we have dr krista smith who is a third year emergency medicine resident she is a little bit she's almost she's not done yet right she's got it's a four-year program she's got about a little bit over a year left but she is you know almost there and she's going to help bring some expertise on this discussion on implicit bias in healthcare, especially during this public health crisis that is going on with the coronavirus right so she's going to be kind of laying down the law as far as what is implicit bias. You know, we're going to define it. We're going to see, you know, where where is has it been an effect as far as healthcare is concerned in different aspects. Again, we're, we'll talk about the coronavirus, but there's a lot of different situations where implicit bias plays a significant role in patient care. And we're going to talk about how that influences not only burnout, but also influences patient care as as well as influences physician satisfaction in what they're doing, right? So uh, getting ready for another amazing episode here on The Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. This podcast is sponsored by the Lunch and Learn Community Merchandise Store, living out the motto, empower yourself for better health. At the store, you can get your favorite t-shirts, coffee mugs, even wristbands and more. For a limited time, you can get 10% 10% off your next purchase using the coupon code EMPOWER10. That's EMPOWER10, E-M-P-O-W-E-R-10. Just go to shop.drbayerpr.com to pick up your purchase and get 10% off today. And remember, 50% of your purchases will be donated to the Five Star Scholarship Foundation, a nonprofit organization for high school students. All right, Lunch and Learn community, just heard another amazing introduction that may sound a little deja vu, and you are correct. Uh, we have a repeat uh, guest on the show, which is always a favorite of mine that um, I didn't scare off uh, the guests enough that they would actually want to come back. So uh, def- definitely love when they say yes uh, the second time, because I know how busy uh, you know their, their schedule and their, their life, especially at a time uh, like this, depending on when you're listening. Uh, to the show, Dr. Smith. Thank you for uh, hopping back on and uh, joining the Lunch Learning community. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me back on. I look forward to talking. Um, as we were just talking about, it's been an interesting time. So I look forward to <laughs> discussing implicit bias today. Right. And and this, this, this is such an important topic, especially with everything that's kind of going on right now. And you know, when, when we first uh, spoke with Dr. Smith, she kind of mentioned like, hey, if you ever want to talk about this topic, you know, I, I would love to come back. And I definitely called her out on it. And I said, you know, like with everything going on, I said, oh, you know, this would be the perfect time to have this discussion. And I know the perfect person to have the discussion with. So definitely 
uh, you know, thankful uh, that we were able to kind of get her back onto the show and really help educate the Lynchland community on really what is implicit bias and most importantly, really how has it kind of penetrated healthcare. So for those who may not have caught your first episode, right? How, like, give them a quick introduction on who you are, where you're at in your life right now, uh, so we can get right into the nitty gritty. Great, great. Yes, so uh, I'm Kristen Smith. I'm an emergency medicine resident. I'm a third-year resident in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I'm originally from Georgia, and I went to school up in Cleveland, Ohio at Case Western. And after graduating, I was a researcher for five years doing cultural competency work and training. And so I kind of, my interest prior to going into medicine and medical school was health disparities reduction. So I've always had this interest in health disparities and cultural competency. So implicit bias is kind of just a arm of that, if you will. Perfect. And how far along are you in your, your third year? How, how, how close are you to finish? More than halfway. More than halfway. And I am, if you can't tell, I'm extremely excited. I am at a four-year emergency medicine program. So some emergency medicine residencies are three years. The program I'm at is four years. Um, so I am more then halfway through third year. So I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, almost a fourth year, almost in my last year. So that is exciting. I love it. And, uh, you know, what a time to be a resident, uh, especially at a time with everything that's kind of going on um, to be in the process of having to learn and train, but also deal with very real life implications uh, is uh, definitely an interesting. Like, even I, I wish I could put myself in the eyes of my resident, especially at a time like this. I can only imagine how you're feeling. Yeah. I mean, you know, I really commend uh, the administration at my residency for just trying to stay on top of everything. We get multiple emails daily on new coronavirus updates and practices and what we should be doing in terms of screening patients and testing patients. So, you know, it is a very interesting time to be a resident, um, but we're all making it through. I love it. So the the topic of discussion today, implicit bias, is definitely something that I see on a day-to-day basis, you know, it's, it's something that we try to teach and train our, you know, residents and even our faculty uh, to, you know, try to reduce and really eliminate um, th- that process, especially when it comes into like the, our way of practice, right? What, what, when we talk about an implicit bias, like what, what does that really kind of mean to you? So implicit bias to me, I like to kind of break it up into the two words or the two terms. So, I mean, most of us know what implicit means. So implicit, just using like a simple definition, it's a belief or thought that you may be unaware of. So it's something that you think, but you're not realizing that you're thinking this. And then obviously bias is, it can be positive or negative. I think a lot of times we talk about bias in a negative way, but it also can be positive. 
bias is a preference for or aversion to a particular characteristic or thing or group or kind of anything. So if you put those two words together, implicit bias is really like this subconscious belief that affects our views of other people or other groups. And that's kind of how I like to think about it. What's interesting, especially when we talk about the bias and just kind of the subconscious um, process behind it. I know in in medical school, we're we're trained to learn certain things, certain terms, certain terms and terminologies that kind of will point to one diagnosis for the other. Um, in 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 healthcare, just in general, right? Where where would you say most of our kind of implicit bias kind of like derives from? I mean, I think so. There are studies out there that show that healthcare providers do not have different belief systems or biases that are different than the general population. So I think a lot of it is really coming from upbringing, Mm, what you're mm. influenced by on TV, your social circles, the the normal things that affect someone else and their biases and their thoughts, right? So, you know, healthcare providers, it's your job, but it's not your life. It shapes a part of you, but, you know, a lot of who you are are, is formed way before you get into medical school, how you think, who you are, a lot of those things are already predefined. So really, this implicit bias notion in healthcare, a lot of the focus is on, well, we understand that people have biases, but how can we reduce those? Um, so that's where a lot of the programs and initiatives really are aimed at is reducing these biases. You know, I I love that you brought that up because it has always been like this kind of really this, again, probably a subconscious thought that, you know, we come in as, you know, people into medical school, into medical training a certain way. And it's our medical training that kind of causes us to fixate one way versus the other. Um, and, you know, you definitely dropped the bomb and say like, no, no, no. Like y'all kind of been had those thoughts, those notions. Exactly. And you just happen to be uh, a person in training for uh, in this healthcare field that now gets to express it uh, in in one way or the other. Exactly. Exactly. It's like you know when politicians they're overheard saying something that may be deemed as sexist or racist or discriminatory against people with limited English proficiency or anything like that. These are not thoughts that this person suddenly, you know, developed once they were (laughs) maybe in the presidency or whatever office they may hold. Um, These are thoughts that they've likely had all their life for whatever reason. And now they just have a platform to express them. Ooh, I love that. I love that. Now, of course, the, from a devil Devil's advocate standpoint, is there ways where your bias can come out on a positive front, right? Because obviously we're talking, we're kind of talking about it in the sense that um, how it can maybe negatively affect someone or some group. But is there any ways where you can have a positive outlook of this subconscious bias? There are. 
I mean, I, I don't know if there's a lot of studies that look at that, but it, I think this notion that there are studies that show that patients who are treated by a physician of their same cultural or ethnic background have better outcomes. And a lot of that seems to stem, at least from literature, stems from this interaction, the patient having more trust in the physician and the physician speaks that patient's language, whether it be a different language than English or just, you know, colloquial terms, um, that can have a positive effect. So if you belong to a certain minority group, whether that be you're a woman or you're a racial minority or um, you're a sexual orientation minority, those are things that you, you're probably more familiar and comfortable in a certain situation. So that can have a positive effect on your patients. Oh, I, I love that because uh, I'm, I'm Haitian. I'm Haitian. I'm a black male. And right. it, it's definitely interesting. Like, cause I, cause as you were saying that, I was like, you know what, my patients do feel a little bit more comfortable uh, with me when they know I can speak their language. And right. when, right. when I, when I see uh especially a black male patient, like I can tell it's just a different vibe um, when I'm talking to them, when I'm trying to educate now. And now, now I'm really, as I'm, I'm deep diving here, as we speak, I'm wondering if I am also presenting a different vibe when I see a patient uh, who is, is Haitian descent or when I see a black male. I wonder if like I am also acting uh, different uh, in a positive way, of course, uh, when I see patients uh, who kind of mirror uh, some of my same cultural uh, standards and background. That's interesting. You know, I think you probably do. And that's probably something unconscious that you do, you know, you probably feel more comfortable. Um, I think it's though, you know, it's important to note though, that just because a patient is not of your same race or culture or ethnic background, that does not mean that you can't provide that patient with the utmost greatest care. Um, but there sometimes is a level of familiarity, if you will, that goes along with things certain patients. I know for me in the ER, a lot of my black female patients will say things to me like, oh, I'm so proud of you, or I'm so happy to see you, or hey, girl, or what have you. And I don't take that offensively because I know the patient means it with respect because they're trying to show like, oh, it's nice to see someone who looks like me in this role that they may not be used to seeing a person of color or a woman it being their physician. Interesting. I, you know, I, I love that point. Cause, and I think that makes so much sense that, you know, the patients open up uh, just as much as you may open up, even if it's a, some conscious uh, effort behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that, now, especially when we talk about the bias, that's really kind of ingrained in a lot of us. First of all, probably a better question is like, is this bias engraved, especially, and I'll speak as far as the the subject of the physicians, right? Do all physicians tend to have a bias and, um, you know, how does that affect them one way or the other? 
Repeat that again. I'm like, sorry. Do, yeah, I didn't do, hear you. yeah, sure. Do all physicians tend to have uh, certain biases that they bring into their practice of, of medicine? And like, and how does that affect you know how they're able to take care of patients? So everyone has biases. I, every single person has biases, right? So go, you know, the definition is just you have a preference for something, or you have aversion to something, you know. I mean, most people have a favorite color or a favorite celebrity that they think is their like celebrity crush and, you know, certain physical characteristics that people like. So everyone has biases in all of these different realms. So, yeah, every physician likely has some bias. I know something that's talked a lot about outside of the racial ethnic bias and um, sexual orientation bias is weight bias, right? So um, mm-hmm. that is a, talk to that is a Let's go. topic. Let's yes, go. yes. There's a lot of studies <laughs> that show, <laughs> right, let's really get into it, right? So there's a lot of studies that show that physicians have a preference for patients of normal weight, right? Because obviously we're always taught in medical school that weight, excess weight, obesity leads to every single medical problem that there is out there. Hypertension. No, no, ain't, ain't, ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? And it's and it's true, right? So it, this is not made up. This is true. You know, we're all <laughs> trying to get there, trying to do better in terms of eating right and exercising, right? And it shows, though, that physicians, which is interesting, there's studies out there that show that regardless of the physician's actual own weight, right, so they may be overweight or obese themselves, they still have a preference for patients who are normal weight, right? And also that physicians have this negative bias that they feel like they shouldn't counsel their overweight patients on exercise and eating right because they're not going to do it anyway. So why waste their time trying to counsel someone on healthy lifestyle change when the person isn't going to do anything? Although it's interesting because there's also literature out there that shows that, what is it, like 5% reduction in body weight has like a 25% I'm sorry, I'm not quoting the right statistics, but a very small percentage of reduction in body weight actually has a fairly good reduction risk in developing hypertension and diabetes. So it's interesting that these negative thoughts are out there, given that really, you know, it's from the studies and the literature, a lot of patients are receptive to listening to their physicians when it comes to lifestyle change. And well, I, love that. I had um, Dr. Sylvia Bowley on a few episodes and she talked about how there's sometimes even physician guilt uh, to counsel their patients on their weight, um, especially those right. who tend to be overweight uh, because right. it's like, well, if I'm overweight, I, there's no way I can tell my patient um, to lose some weight. Um, and, you know, if I, if I smoke, like, how can I tell my patient to s- stop smoking? Like, uh, and, and I think that's where you, where you hit it on the head that because we have our innate biases kind of already ingrained into us, 
um, we, we can see how like pretty directly it can somehow affect uh, the way we practice just our general uh, basic medicine. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw that, uh, that opinion article, um, but uh, I am going to butcher her name, but Dr. Adize, she wrote a piece about physician bodies and basically why do these ads for scrubs. I think we know there are certain uh, scrub companies out there that are very popular right now. Mm -hmm. And why don't certain ads include larger physicians or larger nurses in these scrubs when they're advertising them? And I think that really goes back to the weight bias in medicine. That that is so like and honestly like I don't know if me and you are thinking about the same scrub company but like right when you said that I'm like you know what that that, <laughs> that, com- <laughs> that that company that you know that starts with an F never has any any larger hmm not now that you said it like you are so hundred percent true <laughs> right 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 well that wasn't actually something I even thought about till I read this article so kudos to her. You know, what's, what's interesting, especially as a physician who um, has these biases and we can see how uh, there's some positive, but obviously some negative uh, effects, uh, like at least in the way the physician practices. Um, what has been some of the issues that now the patients have to experience, right? Like, again, and, and we can use the example of the obese patient who, who walks into the office. What, what if some? What are some of the biases that they're like running into um, without even having to even open their mouth? So, so much, right? So I know, so we are in the, e- I work in the ER, right? I'm an ER resident and we get haste. So haste are kind of loudspeaker announcements that come through and kind of tell us if we're getting a critical patient. And a lot of times for if we have a larger patient coming in, it'll be, you know, 50-year-old male coming in with respiratory distress, bariatric bed needed, bariatric bed needed. And you see everyone up and scrambling and it's like, do we even have any bariatric stretchers? We do somewhere, but they're usually hidden away and, you know, not readily available. So it's always a scramble. It's always difficult. You know, there are certain size limitations to a lot of the procedures that we do. Some patients are too heavy for the CAT scanner. You know, these are, these are real issues that we deal with on a daily basis. And I'm sure that patients who come in and have all of this chaos around them and feel like this, there is this burden that happens And I'm sure it's very distressing for the patient. I mean, oftentimes there's issues with getting access on a patient who is much larger, you know, have to use the ultrasound. Sometimes that doesn't work. Different access points. If you need a central line, the neck may be very large and thick, hard to go there. The groin difficult when there's so much subcutaneous tissue. There are certain difficulties that occur when you're treating patients who are morbidly obese. So 
very obese. And that is something that I'm sure patients often feel because it's, it's very evident. Right. That is like an obvious, like, Oh, like, right, right. Like, like all the extra work they have to do. Exactly. Or we think you have a PE, but unfortunately there is a size limit on our CT scanner. So we need to make arrangements for you to either go to another hospital system that has a CT scanner that accommodates a larger size limit or even I know there's been some attendings that I work with who say that they used to work in a city where some patients would actually have to go to the zoo. You, you know, right, right, right when you yeah. said that, uh, we def- yeah. we've definitely had to send a patient or two um, to the zoo right. just to get scanned because we just did not have uh, the image capacity to do it. So right when right we said, right. like, we definitely had to send somebody to the zoo before. Right. And it's, you know, how, how would that make you feel if you come in short of breath, all these issues, you're scared. It's like, well, we've got to send you to the zoo with the animals to be scanned. And so we can diagnose you, you know, that, that cannot feel good by any means. Oh, most definitely not. And, right, right. And I can tell you, especially as a hospitalist, and this is actually something that, like, as we speak today, um, a recording, I had to have this conversation with my residents um, because we will typically get patients who may come in for, um, you know, issue A, uh, but maybe in their past medical history, uh, they've had, you know, multiple uh, orthopedic surgeries or orthopedic back surgeries or some type of surgeries that require them to be on pain medication. And I can see uh, even as the residents are, um, you know, trying to present their case, um, the way they're painting the patient uh, as what we typically will call like pain seeking and uh, opioid dependent or chronic pain syndrome. Like, like the way they're painting it, um, I can see that it's not as if they're painting it really to kind of help me, you know, get. Uh, to point Z with their with their study, it's more to try to say like, hey, hey, look, this person likes their pain medication, and I I, I remember having to educate them and say, hey, understand that you know when someone goes through an accident, when someone goes through pain, they get treated with pain medication. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know if they get treated with opioid medication, you know they probably may still need to take that same opioid medication. Um, and so we we can't we can't like have this cloud in our mind like oh. This person can't be in this much pain because look at the pain medication. They're all like, no, no, no. Like we still have to treat them uh, like we would treat any other person who does not happen, who just happens not to be on uh, those controlled med- medications. So I, I could definitely see how our pain management uh, related patients uh, run into this probably all the time, especially when they come to the hospital. Right, right. And it's, you know, that's another subpopulation that, we have so many biases against, right? I mean, there's this huge push, obviously, to prescribe less opioids and uh, narcotic pain medications so that we we are not contributing to patients becoming addicted, addicted, right? So there's that push, but it's also created this environment where we feel like we can't adequately treat someone's pain. We already know that patients who are on long-term Percocet or 
oxycodone have lower pain thresholds because they are somewhat sensitized to narcotics. So they require higher doses to alleviate their pain. But a lot of times we struggle with giving those high doses because it just feels, it feels wrong. We feel like we are contributing to an addiction. It's definitely something I know that we see a lot with our sickle cell population. And it's hard to, as a physician, we're always like, oh, they're drug seeking, they're drug seeking. But we never think about from the patient's angle, is the emergency department or urgent care or what have you, that's not the best setting to address someone's drug addiction, right? So whether or not someone is addicted or seeking, you do not want to contribute, but that is also not the best place to address some of these issues. And I feel like because in medicine, we just kind of throw like, oh, well, you need to address this, you need to address that, smoking, weight loss, housing insecurity, this, that, and the third, (laughs) like you need to just do it all, right? And you can't do it all. So a lot of times we, everyone has a different practice pattern, but it, it can be really difficult to adequately address patients' pain, patients who are on long-term narcotics. So definitely. Definitely. And, that, and those are really are just a few of the um, examples that I know patients, unfortunately, have to run into a brick wall when dealing with uh, the level of implicit bias that is really innate uh, in us. And I know Dr. Smith really hit, hit, it, hit, hit it on the head when he said that, again, it's not necessarily something that uh, once they became a doctor, uh, all of a sudden, like the, the the field of medicine kind of embedded it in them. No, they they probably had this before, and um, unfortunately, now they have a, a certain title, you know, that allows them to kind of wield some power uh, over people, uh, which really right. is unfortunate uh, with kind of everything that's going on, especially uh, as we record this. And you know, we before we started recording, we were talking about just kind of our hospital's efforts in uh, dealing with what is now we know is a pandemic of, of the coronavirus. Right, right. And uh, what's, what's interesting, especially with the coronavirus, is uh, that, of course, um, our efforts, you know, could, you know, there's, there's some question as far, especially I'm, uh, here in the U.S., uh, as far as how, how well prepared uh, we've been or even are as we speak. Um, but w- what's interesting is that we're even seeing, you know, this level of bias really start to, uh, you know, kind of creep in. And I think, unfortunately, is really affecting, you know, uh, you know, populations in two different ways, which I think could be very detrimental in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. I totally agree. It's um, it's it's been interesting. It's been an interesting time. I know. I'm in a few physician Facebook groups and I've seen where people are posting that, you know, they're getting patients who are concerned because they were on a bus seated next to an Asian person. And now they are coming into the hospital because they feel they need to be tested for coronavirus. You know, there's been patients that have a chief complaint of, I ate Chinese food and then 
two hours later developed a cough. Now I'm coming in to be tested. You know, these are, this is not implicit bias, right? It's explicit bias. It's just outright racist and ignorance. Um, but I do think that it's, it's interesting because it's a very interesting time. Ironically, though, I have not really seen, because I know besides China, Italy is the country that's second largest. Mm-hmm. Yep, second largest um, hit. Yep. Exactly. So I have not, though, seen anybody say that they've eaten pizza or Italian food and they're coming in to get tested. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Right. So and, and, you and, have and, to look that's, at such, that. that's a huge point. That is <laughs> so big uh, because we, we have these biases that not only is this, and again, for lunch learning community, if, um, if you don't know what the coronavirus is, maybe you're living under a rock. I, uh, first, first of all, I don't know how it's <laughs> possible, right? Like, especially at this time where you don't know uh, what. Right. What, it's what everywhere. It is. It's, it's everywhere. everywhere, right? You can't read a blog. You can't watch it. Like, so no. we're already assuming you, you already know uh, what the virus is, what we're, yeah. <laughs> that we're referencing. We're right? assuming that. That's a huge <laughs> assumption. <laughs> we're, see, that's our bias, right? <laughs> but, that's our, we did, right, we did already... that's our bias, right? <laughs> <laughs> we have we done made an assumption that people know what we're talking about, but. Yes. So, and it's so interesting because I'm seeing on social media where now people aren't even frequenting like their establishments. People aren't going to their grocery stores. People like like doing stuff that makes absolutely no sense in the world. Um, but all they recognize is like, oh, no, this is the virus where the first reported cases happen to be uh, in China. And like now I'm going to block off everything China related in the whole world. Um, which, right. like, which, I hope as we say it out loud, sounds just as crazy because that's what some people are here are actually doing. Right. I'm hoping people are like, wow, that doesn't make any sense. I should stop that, right? Use some logic. And and that's where, especially when it comes to bias, like, I think that's, that's I think that's such an interesting point that a lot of times, like, we'll throw logic right out the window um, if we have a bias that, you know, we believe in that we don't one want to uh, be seen as deemed wrong. So we'll, we'll throw all the logical explanations where our bias could be wrong right out the window just to say like, Oh no, I'm, I know what I'm talking about. Right. Right. And you know, bias obviously in healthcare when physicians have it or nurses, any healthcare staff, it can affect how a patient is, treated, how they're worked up for a condition, the medications they receive, the management they get, it can affect their ultimate health outcome. And in society, it can affect someone's safety, right? It can be life or death. I was watching this video clip uh, that uh, the Shade Room had posted. And if people don't know the Shade Room, it's like a, I guess, a blog or social media site. Anyways, you shouldn't know about that. But if you do know about it, um, there was a clip of, it was a black man on a subway and he was sitting next to an Asian man. And the Asian guy coughed, one cough, you know, little cough. And the black guy starts to yell at the guy and 
shout obscenities and he pulls out like he was using Febreze, you know, not Lysol or anything, but he was using Febreze and it and spraying it on this gentleman, right? So that's that's assault. And I was just horrified by the video because it it just made no sense and it just shows that people are having so many thoughts in their head and they're being very racist, very xenophobic and it's it's scary, right? I mean, what if this person would have had a weapon on them? Would he stab this guy? Would have he shot him? You know, over nothing. Nothing. Before a few weeks ago, you'd be around people, they'll cough on you, they'll sneeze on you, they'll vomit on you. No big deal. It's really it's crazy. It's crazy. I saw I saw a meme. Uh, that well, no, I think it was it wasn't me. I think it was a tweet that said that someone said that um, before when you would sneeze, someone would say "bless you," and now they just look at you like you're crazy. And I thought that was so funny, <laughs> yeah. um, in, in so many different ways. Uh, because again, yeah. this this we we have now the unfortunately, especially again, this is where we, we're going back uh, even outside of healthcare. The general public are is not even allowing people to do normal functions. Uh, because they are already saying like, no, no, if you do that normal function, a.k.a. sneeze, a.k.a. cough, right, a.k.a. Right. Have a runny nose, like you must have the pandemic virus, right? Like that, we're going all, we, and, and lunch learning community, I hope it sounds crazy as I'm saying this because a lot of people are doing it. Um, so I hope right. it sounds like, like, oh, someone need to do it. Like, yes, someone's actually doing it. Um, you aren't allowing people to sneeze. You aren't allowing people to cough in public anymore uh, because you think they have to have the virus now, uh, which is right. uh, really a problem. Right. And you're also, you know, for everyone, but you're also really acting like that towards Asian Americans who may be having these symptoms, right? So you really need to check yourself. Mm. And and that's and that's really especially when it comes to, you know, the the bias that you know kind of is is unfortunately innate in us. Um, the question that I have to ask, especially as maybe I'm I'm an enlightened physician and I'm recognizing like, hey, like I probably shouldn't you know treat my pain patients that way. I probably shouldn't treat my um, obese patients that way. I probably shouldn't look at patients who have, uh, are Asian descent in that way. Like if, if they're like, maybe they're getting that, that, that enlightenment and say like, Hey, I need to do something like, is it even possible? Right? Like, is this, is this something that like, I'm just kind of stuck with and, and the way I, you know, I kind of, you know, process my thoughts. No, you are not. We're all evolving. People can evolve. So no one is, stuck being biased. No one is stuck having these views. There are different things that you can do personally that can reduce bias and cause you to decrease your biases and be able to look at people without having this filter at which you look through people at people through bias. Um, I think one of the first steps is, like you said, just realizing, hmm, maybe I do treat my obese patients this way, or maybe I do treat my patients who are are on chronic opioids this way, or maybe I treat my transgender patients this way. Maybe I have these things that I, I didn't really realize I had, but now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, maybe there is something there. 
Um, I think realizing it obviously is the first step because if you don't realize that you have any type of issue, you can't address it. The second step I would say that I've done personally for myself is I've taken many of the Harvard Project Implicit Bias Test. Um, Harvard has this site online where you can take all of these different tests that kind of gauge your implicit bias. There's one for gender, like males versus females. Do you have a preference for women or males? Or um, and different racial and socioeconomic groups. So that is really interesting because I feel like it's kind of a lightning. And I know for me, it kind of highlighted some biases that I had that I wasn't even aware of. And then I think, I think after that, you know, a lot of, especially if you're in healthcare, a lot of organizations try to reduce their providers biases. So there's usually some type of training or something that you can do, but there's different sites online that you can look up to try to kind of do the work. Um, I know when I like to talk about this, there's two different models that I kind of use. So there is a company, it's a consulting firm that is not in healthcare, actually. It's just a business consulting firm that their goal is to provide system level interventions for inclusive leadership and culture. So creating this like inclusive culture at a organization. And they're called Cook Ross, and they have this five-step acronym that is helpful with thinking about reducing implicit bias. So it's the PAUSE acronym, P-A-U-S-E. So the P is for pay attention. So you're paying attention, you know, that you have some type of bias. A is acknowledging your reaction, so acknowledging your own reactions of what's happening within the encounter, within the thought. U is understanding your reactions and judgments, so understanding, kind of thinking about where do your biases stem from? What made you have a bias towards a particular patient or a particular person? S is searching for constructive strategies to try to reduce the bias, and then E is executing on that strategy. So obviously in a patient-physician encounter, this is not something, you know, you're not going to go through like PAUSD when a patient is coding or something like that, but these are things to think about, you know, maybe you've had a difficult patient encounter, or maybe you've noticed that, yeah, my patients who identify as lesbian, maybe I do treat them, I say things that maybe are insensitive, and how can I address that? So this is kind of an acronym to help you kind of develop some strategy and, and how to think about it in terms of trying to reduce your own bias. Oh, I love that. And Lunch Learn, Com- Lunch Learn Community, we definitely will make sure uh, we have a link to that in the show notes uh, so you guys can take your own uh, test. Because, I, again, I think, like, you know, like Dr. Smith said, you know, first first things first is just kind of recognizing, like, hey, I might have a problem, right? Right, <laughs> like, right. The, because if you're in the same social circle and you're, you know, your same value, same way you're growing up, 
so if you don't think what you're doing is wrong, you'll never even go to assess it. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, oh, while while we're talking about the the coronavirus, I just want to I know we, I know we talked about the race aspect of it. Um, I'm seeing a lot of bias, and then I've I've had to talk to some of my health professionals. Um, there's a lot of bias uh, against and. I guess against, you know, young people, right? When it comes to this disease process, um, for some reason, we have uh, believed ourselves that this is really an old person's disease. So I, I would definitely right. love for us to stop that like as soon as possible. Um, exactly, exactly. <laughs> because, you know, the, the the numbers are definitely there to show that like, no, you can be young and have a problem with this disease as well too. And, and that probably shows in the fact that we still have um, you know, a lot of people uh, who tend to be younger, unfortunately, still, you know, go in large group settings and still do stuff that um, you probably shouldn't do, at least especially with, you know, the the, the way uh, it's unfolded in different countries. Um, so, yeah, definitely I'm, I'm even seeing a bias against old people um, where it's like, hey, you know, it's a disease that's only going to affect them. So wh- whatever, I'm good. Um, I'm just going to get a little cold and be about my day. And I, I definitely want to let uh, let your community know, like, no, 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 you can be young and, and catch these problems too. Don't so don't exactly. <laughs> exactly. Do I mean, you can be young and and have a severe disease and end up on a ventilator and even die. You know, you don't know how the virus may affect you. So, I think that the numbers do show that more severe cases are more prevalent in elderly patients over, well, people over 65. However, that does not mean that someone younger can't get it because we see that people younger in their 20s are getting it. Um, I think the Italian data is showing that there are several people in their 20s and 30s who ended up on ventilators. So this is not a disease that doesn't affect certain groups. You know, I've seen out there that it doesn't affect young people, that it doesn't affect black people. These are just (laughs) (laughs) fallacies that are not true, right? It's fake news, right? So it is important that you stay vigilant. Also, there's this thought of someone being an asymptomatic carrier, right? So you have no symptoms. And obviously, if we had more tests available, we're testing everyone, maybe you would test positive. And although you may have a very mild disease and having mild symptoms, you could potentially pass it on to someone else who will have a more severe case. So that's really what's behind this whole notion of social distancing and staying out of group settings, because really, you're trying to do what you can to protect your fellow citizens. Yes. And and I know this is a question, you know, before we before we let you go, I I just I, I think especially with, you know, first of all, great discussion today. Um, so I do have to ask, right, and maybe see if you if you maybe believe this is true. Is it even possible, right, to even avoid bias, right? Especially in, in our healthcare setting and uh, the way we practice. Is that even like a is this is it merely like a goal that we like, hey, you know, if it was you know, if it was all, if everything was all good, like we'd have zero bias. But is is that even something that's uh, possibly to be attained? I'm sure some would say it's possible, but I don't think it's. I don't believe it's possible. You know, part of healthcare is recognizing patterns and 
having objective data and how someone looks or what language they speak, those are all objective data points. So that will always come into play in some aspect of the encounter, whether or not it's positive or negative is something that you as the individual provider have to determine and and figure out your own biases of whether that's positive, negative, or, or makes no difference. But I don't think that it's possible to have no bias at all. And, and that's something I kind of agree with as well, too, I think. And again, and we, we talk a lot, especially when it comes to medicine, um, a lot of it is kind of pattern recognition. And a lot of the pattern is really based on, you know, the person, uh, the way they're presenting, the way they're talking, the way they're, they, you know, they're, they're in their bed, the way they're, if they're, they're grimacing, like a lot of things, their labs, like a lot of things just kind of um, lead to one thing after the other. So if, if you don't have that, you know, that sense of like, okay, if I see this, this happened, this happened, like subconsciously, um, it can, you know, slow you down and re- really help you not be able to uh, take care of the patient. Exactly, exactly. And I know we're kind of getting to the end of ta- end of our talk, but, you know, there's so much that we didn't get to talk about, you know, the um, maternal mortality <laughs> disparity, that's huge, and that has a lot to do with bias, but we obviously don't have time to talk about that. Um, but I did just want to highlight, I know last time I was here, we were discussing burnout from a resident's perspective. So, Physician burnout is something that's talked about a lot in the media and in the literature. And how can we reduce burnout? Because so many physicians are burned out, and that uh, also leads to attrition at jobs. And it's very expensive to hire new physicians and everything. So there was an interesting study published in JAMA in July of last year that um, it was titled Association of Racial Bias with Burnout Among Resident Physicians. It was a really interesting study because it was a cohort cohort study that took over 3,000 medical students and kind of followed them and um, handed out surveys in their second and third year of residency. So the cross-specialties um, they did leave out, leave out radiologists and pathologists just because they don't um, handle much direct patient care. But that study actually found not only that a large amount or a large proportion of the physicians, the resident physicians in that study were experiencing burnout, but they also found that they had explicit and implicit biases towards black patients. So the study was interesting in that it took 3,000 residents who were, who self-identified as non-black. So they could be Asian, Latino, Native American, but not self-identified as black. And why they chose black patients, I'm not sure. But it was an interesting study because it showed that 45% of the residents had some symptoms of burnout, right? And then it also showed that among the physicians, they showed that the higher the burnout score was, so they did these different surveys, and the higher you scored on this burnout scale, 
the more likely you were to have explicit and implicit racial biases against black patients. And I think that is like extremely interesting. And it's not, it's obviously, we don't know if this is causation. There's a lot of details that the study didn't get into and that they weren't able to ascertain from a simple survey, but it is something to think about, especially for all the physicians and administrators are out there who create resident wellness programs. What aspects of wellness and decreasing burnout can actually help your residents treat their patients better? Oh, I, I love that. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I went to ACGME um, a few weeks ago and mm-hmm. I, I went to a few sessions on just uh, women in healthcare and specifically women in residency. And, and my program uh, right now, we're running at about, I think, 45 percent of our program are women. Um, and that, you know, depending on our match results uh, this week, uh, that could flip over the 50 percent, um, which I'm actually very praying for um and and they talked about just some of the biases that uh you know women have to face just kind of going 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 up the ranks as a resident what they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis even amongst their class amongst uh hospital administration amongst hospital staff and i'm like oof and 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 they hit right right when you said that they hit they hit right on the head like okay so now that you know that right like, what are you doing uh, to try to kind of change some of the mindset aspects of of those certain groups that are being that are affecting women as much as they are um, to try to reduce that burnout? So, I, yeah, that's definitely definitely big um, as far as, and that's definitely a population that uh, that <laughs> runs into bias. Um, uh, women, in yeah, it's oh, yeah, such a hot topic. We didn't even get to really touch on the gender bias in medicine both from, you know, your colleagues and on the flip side from patients, right? So I know with my female colleagues, we talk a lot about how it's so irritating when patients don't recognize that you are the physician. Patients will get upset and say, I never saw a physician and you've been in the room five times. And, you know, I've had that happen when I'm with a female attending. So the attending for those who aren't in medicine sees the patient after the resident sees the patient and, you know, either says, yes, I agree with that treatment plan or no, we should do this. But um, they're the supervisor, if you will. But I've been on all female teams sometimes and the patient will actually address the male medical student instead of me, the resident, or the attending physician, because we're both female, and they're assuming that we, because we're women, could definitely not be the physician. So it, it there's so much surrounding this topic, and it's it is detailed and it's complicated, and there's a lot that needs to be done. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you were just speaking. Really, I think we've gotten to a point where we realize a lot of these issues are out there, but we're still having trouble of figuring out how do we address these issues? Right. And, and, and that's, and that's why I really asked that question. Cause I was like, ah, like, I know it's there. Um, and I know, and, and I know some people recognize, you know, the issues they have are like, wow, is this, is this something that we can really like avoid? Like, is this, and, and I hate to sound defeatist, 
um, in my attitude, but like, I just feel like, oh, I feel like it's going to be a lot of work uh, to try to change every single person. But I feel like if, if your goal is to really, you know, make sure that you're, you're having a homeostasis when it comes to healthcare and uh, the patient physician relationship and, you know, even the physician to physician colleague relationship, um, you, you have to do it. Like you, you have to, you have to try, right? Like it's, like there's, 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 there's no, there's nothing worse than at least not even trying to improve uh, the problem that you, that we, and we already know it's a problem. Like, is, again, we're not talking like this is some issue that eh, kind of, no, no, this is an issue. This is a problem. It's documented <laughs> in many ways and many forms it's documented. And I think every healthcare provider has a responsibility to their patients and their colleagues to really do the work of figuring out their biases and addressing ways to reduce them. Perfect. I love it. Absolutely amazing. So um, first of all, thank you again for thank you. uh, you you Blessing the podcast. Very good discussion. Oh my gosh. Like the Serena Williams thing, that's something um, I don't know if you I'm sure you have so many OB colleagues, but um, the maternal mortality disparities, that is a huge issue, huge issue. And, and that, and that's, and that's what, so we, I mean, we, we, we might have to just bring you back just to, just, just to just really talk about that. Cause that, I mean, that's so many layers. Um, that is so many layers. And I think um, <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is so many layers. And I know that, um, you know, for a while there it was so prevalent out in the in the media, right? Because Serena Williams, I mean, everybody loves her, and she's talking about, well, basically, if I wouldn't have told, made these doctors test me for a PE, I could have died. And so many people were scared, and you know, just putting out there that they feel unheard. Oh my gosh! And then the the ER case. Um, I'm forgetting exactly where it was. I think it was in Florida a few, like two months ago, a young lady died after sitting in the ER for like over six hours. And I know that there was a lot of discussion that how much of that was because this woman was black and a woman and her complaints weren't taken seriously. And I just, it, it's it's interesting. We don't know, right? We don't know, but we don't know. But we but our bias probably makes a good guess. Play a role. <laughs> it right? Probably- it, it played some type of a role, and I think even when you do everything right, especially in the like I work in Philly, so a lot of my patients have had multiple family members. Like this is their hospital, so they've had multiple family members unfortunately die there. And even when you do everything right, a lot of times patients still have a negative view of the hospital and the healthcare providers at this particular place. And I think that it's important to note that even if there was no bias in that case, the way Black patients looked at it as she was Black and you weren't taking her seriously. And that is why she died. Right. Right. So... It's interesting. Thank you for your time. I know you're super busy. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate it. Matt, match week is here. Match week is here. So yes, no, yes. Thank, you, thank you again for taking the time out. Like I know you're crazy. Like you're a resident. So I already know. I already know you're, you're, the, the time is valuable. So anytime I can 
uh, steal away some time from some of my residents is definitely appreciated. Um, where, where can people find you? Where can people, uh, you know, hock you down and see, follow your growth, follow your, your, your life. So you can follow me on Instagram, uh, at KJ, uh, Dr. Dr. So Dr. KJ Smith, that's my Instagram. And my Facebook is, uh, Dr. Underscore, underscore Kristen J. Smith. So. And remember, Lunch Learn community, all of these links will be in the show notes again. Dr. Smith, thank you so much uh, for another amazing, amazing, amazing episode on such an important topic, especially during such an important time uh, as uh, we are in uh, as we speak. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on again. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming to the end of the episode. It is your truly Dr. Barry Pierre. I want to give my undying thanks to you for your support. Just getting to the end of the episode means that you at least enjoyed today's episode. Hope you were empowered by today's episode. Please remember to share this episode with at least two people that you know that would be greatly affected if they did not listen to today's episode. And if you have not already done so, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can leave a review. Leave a review there because your support is so, 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 so valuable what we're doing here on the lunch learn and everything with pierre medical consulting and if you have not done so go ahead and join the listserv to join the listserv it's very easy just grab your phone right now i'll pause join the listserv you want to text lunch learn pod this is all gonna be one word lunch learn pod to 44222 and you'll be on the listserv you'll know exactly when new episodes are coming out you'll know about new episodes before they actually come out because i usually tell my listserv members hey this is what i'm working on this are the guests that you should expect to hear for the week on thanks guys you have a blessed day and i'm gonna see you guys next week